0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents, Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, I want to thank you for joining us again on this week's program. And uh, we continue to unfold uh, probably one of the most difficult books of the Bible by admission. It is probably one of the difficult, most difficult books of the Bible to unravel because it takes so many pieces to unpack this. What we are doing in our uh, approach to it is we are comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. I believe that the things that we are teaching agree with the law and the prophets. We are not taking our views of interpretation from CNN or from USA Today. We are drawing them directly from either prophetic word that was given in the old covenant uh, or prophetic word that Jesus himself gave or scriptures. And we are, our hermeneutic or our principle of interpretation is to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. I trust you've been following us uh, for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about the fifth chapter of book of Revelation. We are 40-some programs into teaching this book of Re- Revelation. And uh, uh, you can go back, if you'd like, into uh, our archives. Uh, if you go to my website, and the uh, address is already on the screen right there in front of you. If you go to our website, there will be a screen that has our television program there. If you tap that link, it will take you directly to our YouTube page, where you can view it from YouTube or subscribe to our YouTube page. And uh, you can watch any of the programs that we have archived there uh, to date, so you can go back and get anything that we teach on the, uh, we've taught on the book of Revelation that can bring you up to date. Uh, We have a couple of churches right now that have asked us for permission, and we encourage this. Uh, They are pulling it down off of YouTube and either uh, playing it in their Wednesday night services as uh, they're teaching on the book of Revelation, and they are opening it to dialogue and to conversation. Uh, I, I, I say with all humility, this book, I respect other people and their scholarly approaches to this, and, uh, and even other views. I, re- I respect uh, the men and women of God that I believe are men and women of God who have different views than I do. However, I can only teach you what I believe God said to me, and I've studied all four views. This, to me, uh, settles in my spirit. I'm going to ask you simply the same thing, uh, to ask the Lord, Uh, to open this book to you and to let it settle in your spirit. If you are convinced that when uh, I'm finished all of this that you totally disagree, then uh, we'll go on to teach something else. Uh, But I felt like in light of where we're at historically, the gospel of grace is absolutely sweeping the nations. The problem is, is that the eschatology that follows that does not fit with their message of grace because they're preaching the message of favor and grace, and uh, that God is not angry, except it does not fit their eschatological view or their views of end times. Uh, but we're trying to show you that much of the stuff that uh, uh, that people believe is coming of the wrath of God is not coming at all. It was during the days of the apostles because they were talking about a coming a judgment that would occur at 70 A.D. But that would be the, uh, one of the things that I see, especially in the book of Revelation, God would say, in them is filled up the wrath of God. These are the last plagues. So uh, they, they were God keeping His end of the covenant bargain, to what he promised apostate Israel if they would not follow the words of the statutes of this book, and especially when he told them when they delivered them from Egyptian bondage and slavery. He said, if you put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of your house and take a lamb inside the house, then none of these plagues will come nigh your dwelling. One more time, he offers to uh, the Jews and this uh, this, this, this Israel as a nation, a people. He offers the real Lamb of God, but they rejected their Messiah. They rejected their Savior. They re- rejected their redemption. As a matter of fact, Jesus uh, would even give this parable and say to them, a certain man had a vineyard, and He let it out to husbandmen. And then He would send His servants to see how the vineyard was doing. He sent prophets, and He said some of them they stoned, others they mishandled, some they imprisoned. Last but not least, he said, I'm going to send my son. Surely they'll receive my son. And uh, you know the parable, and and the Scripture goes on to say that uh, they killed the son of the owner of the vineyard. He said, what do you think is going to happen to these evil husbandmen when the owner of the vineyard comes? He's going to take it from them and give it to a nation producing the fruit thereof. That is an absolute parable that's talking about the removing of the Jewish Uh, age and uh, the Jewish polity and this apostate people was about to be uh, moved off the scene while God would bring in the Gentiles and God would establish His kingdom during this period of time. And so if we don't understand the eschatology of grace, it's not going to fit. We're we're not going to have the answers when people ask us questions about some of the scriptures that have to do with wrath. Now, uh, let me just, let me just uh, uh, read the, the text again in, in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. He said, I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open to read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the root, the the line of the tribe of Judah is Jesus. The root of David is Jesus, and he he has prevailed. He's overcome. He will. He's the only one qualified to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof and the reason he's the only one qualified is because he's the only one that was qualified to to see the end of the first covenant christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So all of the, the, all of the demands of the first covenant were fully met in Jesus so that because He prevailed and overcame, now He could take the book, the New Covenant, and loose the seals, open the book, and release the things that are the promises of the New Covenant uh, to anyone who believes. And so He said, uh, uh, I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, in the midst of the four elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vows full of the odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and lo, I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and earth and under the earth, such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I say, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever. Let me just read you a few things from my notes that kind of capsulize, and then we'll springboard from this. I put in my notes, is it possible, especially since... Uh, the seals being removed is a, uh, a word that means to to dissolve or to destroy or to melt or to put off, to melt off these seals. They were like a wax signet. And uh, the, uh, the the removing of these seals uh, was, uh, the, the, the reason this, the seals were there was to protect from misappropriation or to protect from uh, 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 misappropriation. Uh, uh, from, from, from misappropriation, from misunderstanding, uh, either literally or figuratively. And this is what I put in my notes. I said, is it possible that the removing of the seals is the removing of any concept that would misappropriate the new covenant? Especially since the word loosen means to dissolve or to destroy or to melt off. So that the work of the Lamb is to remove anything that is not authentic and genuine that would misappropriate, <coughs> excuse me, the New Covenant. Now, uh, in chapter 5, there are 24 elders that are seated on 24 thrones. In the Old Testament, King David instituted 24 courses of priests. In First Chronicles chapter 24 is where that's at. As well as 24 divisions of singers in the temple in First Chronicles 25. They simply are a king-priest ministry that are wearing crowns. They are a royal priesthood and they are a holy nation. This throne represents the king and his kingdom. The 24 elders represent a royal priesthood. The rainbow represents the new covenant. The rainbow round about the throne represents the new covenant. That's already been stuff we've taught prior segments. The little book is the constitution of the kingdom. The only one found worthy to open this book was a slain lamb. This lamb is in the midst of the throne. And the 24 elders, He is the center of the new covenant. He is the center, focal centerpiece of all new covenant truth. If it does not flow through a slain lamb, it is not the gospel. This lamb is in the midst of the throne of the 24 elders. He's the center of the new covenant. Only the revelation of the finished work can remove or loose or destroy or dissolve or melt off anything that is not authentic or genuine. There are many things in our thinking that must be dissolved and melted away in order for us to receive the blessing of the New Covenant. Please note that the Apostle Peter said the elements will melt, and seeing these things shall be dissolved, uh, what manner of persons ought you to be. Only a revelation of the Lamb in the midst can redeem us from the following curses of this book. There are specific things that these living creatures want you to come and see. The curses that follow in this book are a result of not applying the blood of the Lamb at the doorpost of your house. Rebellious Israel failed to do this, and they were about to receive the judgments promised in this book under the law. And because they were still God, because they did not receive uh, their redemption from this coming wrath. I believe when Romans 5 said we are saved from wrath, it was the coming wrath of the old covenant that God had promised to the people of Israel. And because they refused to put the blood on the doorpost of their house, God was obligated to keep His end of the covenant bargain because they were not approaching then a mercy seat, they were approaching a judgment seat. I I think that it was so important that Jesus would stand in Matthew 23 and say, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and you that killed the prophets, how often I would have gathered you under my feathers as a hen doth gather her chicks, but you would not, therefore your house is left to you desolate. The only place God has feathers is the wings of the cherubim that are on the mercy seat. He said, I wanted to give you mercy, but you would not, therefore your house is left to you desolate. Apostate Israel was demanding of God the judgments that came and occurred and were prophesied concerning all throughout the Old Testament and even the prophecy of Jesus that said all these things will come upon this generation, not the generation we're living in, but the generation that was alive and well during the time that Jesus was walking the planet. I want to, I want to take this uh, because uh, we talked about the word melt here I want to take this over to the book of Peter and show you something that uh, I think a lot of times people think are in the, the future, uh, but, but, but are not I, I, in the future. Uh, let, let me, in Second Peter, in the third chapter, it says, it says this, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers." Now, once again, I've taught this before. I'm going to continue to teach this and reiterate it. The biblical last days are not the last days of this age. They are the last days of the old covenant age. The apostle Paul says in first, or his very first verse of the book of Hebrews, when he's writing to Hebrews, And he's writing to these Hebrews about three and a half years before Israel would literally be destroyed and that the temple would be destroyed and that it would be so dismantled that it would be like a plowed field. The apostle Paul would stand up and he would write in Hebrews, God, uh, who at sundry times and times past spoke to us in through and by the prophets, hath, hath, past tense, In these last days, spoken to us by the Son. So he called the day when God spoke to us by the Son the last days. He called that the last days. Excuse me. The Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, he got up, he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel that in the last days. So Peter was saying that what Joel prophesied was coming was now occurring in Acts chapter 2 when God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters would prophesy your old men would dream dreams, and the apostle Peter called his day the last days. And then you have the apostle John in one of his epistles. He said, little children, we know that it is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. And there are so many scriptures just like that. Now, John didn't say we think it is, we suppose it is. He said we know that it is the last time. Now, if these apostles were deceived about what the last days were, then what else are they deceived about? Somebody said, well, they had to believe they were living in the last days, but they were really not living in the last days. Well, then what else were they wrong about? You know, I believe that they were living in the last days. It's just that we've got to readjust our thinking to realize that maybe they weren't talking about the last days that we think last days. They were talking about the last days that would occur during that period and epoch in human history. It would be the appointed time of the end that Habakkuk said that the vision would come and it would speak and not tarry. Uh, you know, he said, though it, though it tarry, wait for it, for it will come, and it will not tarry. The writer of the book of Hebrews calls the it at him. He said, for yet a little while, and he that sh- will come will come and will not tarry. And he goes on to quote the book of Habakkuk. Well, we know that that's exactly what occurred in 70 A.D. is him that was to come would come and not tarry because it was the appointed time of the end. The appointed time of the end of what? not a global situation, the appointed time of the end of the uh, Jewish uh, age and the, the, uh, the law of the Mosaic system. Now, let me, let me show you again that this is from the book of Second Peter. He said this second epistle beloved I write unto you that which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you be mindful of the words that were spoken by the holy prophets and the command of the Lord Jesus knowing this that the last day scoffers would come walking after their own lust, saying where is the promise of his coming since the fathers fell asleep all things continue as they were from the beginning. Now, they're scoffing because they're saying it don't look like there's any change. You all preach a new covenant, but it doesn't seem like there's any change. Because this is a, from the time that Jesus gave his prophecy, I'm going to set a timeline probably in, in some future programs, but I'm going to share that Jesus gave the prophecy in Matthew 24 that this generation will not pass away until everything I told you comes to pass. And that includes wars. Uh, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes. Uh, it included, uh, 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 he said, not one stone will be left upon another that will not be torn down. The context there, he's standing there looking at all the beautiful buildings of the temple, and he's saying uh, this stuff is about to come down. It's about to be destroyed. And he was saying to them that uh, here in the book of Peter, their scoffer and said it don't look like anything has changed since the fathers fell asleep. And he said, uh, but uh, the, the reason for that, verse 5, 2 uh, Peter Peter 3 5 For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Sing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting, note this, and hasting the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved Paul also, according to the wisdom have given him hath written unto you. Now let me just say to you that what I believe the Apostle Peter is talking about is he is talking to people again who are contemporaries in his day. This has to have relevance to people that Peter is writing to. They are 30 some years into the prophecy that Jesus gave concerning the destruction of the temple and the removing of the Jewish age. As a matter of fact, he's prophesying concerning some of these things. He told them that not one stone would be left upon another, that Jerusalem would literally be burnt to the ground. What we don't understand is because we look at these terms and we see things like uh, the heavens and the earth will pass away with a great noise. What we don't understand is that the Jewish people viewed their tabernacle as the location where God would meet with them, so they viewed it as their heaven and their earth. They they viewed that Jewish uh, period and that uh, exclusive relationship they had with God as being exclusive to them. But what God was saying to them through the apostle Peter is that the elements are about to melt with a fervent heat. Now, let me tell you that you could take this word elements, and it is the Greek word stoikion and is used to describe the law of Moses in uh, the, I believe it is the uh, third or fourth, I believe it's the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians where he says, he said, uh, he tells them, how turn you, now this is the book of Colossians where he says this, he said, how turn you again, to the weak and beggarly elements, or the rudiments of this world, touch not, handle not. So he describes the elements there as being the elements of the law of the Mosaic system. Now, you can also go back into the book of 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 uh, uh, the book of Galatians, where he talks about. And uh, 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 let me let me just let me just look it up for you here, real quick. Galatians, the fourth chapter, and he says. Uh, He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so. We, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements, look at this, under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem that we're under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This word elements, again, is used here in Galatians 4 to say that we, when we were children, when we were up under the law of the mosaic system, were up under the governors and the tutors of this old, covenant uh, uh, system uh, were in bondage under the elements of the world. I submit to you to consider the possibility that the elements that were about to melt with a fervent heat was this whole system, uh, God was about to remove a whole religious spiritual system and give birth to another one. An old heaven and an old earth was about to pass away, and a new heaven and a new earth was about to come on the scene. An old temple was about to pass, and the Jews called their temple and their system their heaven and their earth. In the mind of the Jewish man, the heaven and the earth had to deal with their temple. But there was about to come on the scene a new temple which we are a part of. An old man was about to be swallowed up, and a new man was about to give birth. An old Jerusalem was about to be destroyed and burnt to the ground, and God was about to give birth to a new Jerusalem. An old covenant was about to pass away, and a new covenant was about to come on the scene. And everything that had to do with all of that old stuff was about to pass off of the scene. And it was going to pass with a great noise. It was going to be literally melted with a fervent heat so that they could not go back to Judaism if they would have wanted to. I believe that the admonition in the book of Hebrews, when the Apostle Paul says to Hebrews, who were crossing over out of an old covenant into a new covenant, he says to them, if you sin willfully, once you've been enlightened and you've tasted the power of the age to come, He said, if you sin willfully, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for a fire indignation, which shall devour its enemies. Can I tell you that when he's saying to them, if you sin willfully, once you've been enlightened, that doesn't mean you sin since you've been saved. If that's the case, probably nobody listening to me is going to make it in. I mean, you used to teach if you sin willfully, once you've been enlightened, uh, then there remains no more sacrifice for sin. There are people in insane asylums today because they think they blasphemed the Holy Ghost or committed the unpardonable sin. That's not what that's talking about at all. Because every one of us, from, I'm thinking to myself, when I first heard that ever taught, I thought, well, you sh- I sure wished I wouldn't have s- got saved at 16 then, because my chances of making it in are really slim. Because since I've been saved, not only me, but probably everybody listening to the sound of my voice has sinned. And you not only sinned, but you sin willfully. You plotted it, you planned it, and you carried it out. So if that's the case, none of us are going to make it. But what he's saying to them is, if you sin willfully, in other words, if you go back to Judaism, and you offer a blood sacrifice, and you go back to that temple, and you offer the blood of bulls and goats on some altar, You are trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus. What you're saying is the blood of Jesus was not enough to purge your sin, and you're going to have to walk back over the blood of Jesus and trample it underfoot to say that the blood of a bull or a goat is what's going to save you and redeem you. And what he says to them is, uh, in the book of Hebrews, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but unto them who believe to the saving of the soul. And he was saying to them that if you go back and you willfully miss the mark of this new covenant, and you go back to Judaism. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. There's not another sacrifice coming. And then he says, a certain fear for looking for a fiery indignation which shall devour its enemies was the fire that came in 70 A.D. that destroyed this system, and anybody who went back to Judaism, and anybody who went back to animal sacrifice, uh, you know, was absolutely walking over the blood of Jesus and counting the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing. I trust that you're not listening to eschatological teaching that would try to bring you back to some kind of a restored temple and the restoration of the blood of a red heifer or any other kind of an animal for that matter. Because I'm going to tell you that there is only one name given under heaven whereby men must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. God is no more interested in a physical building or a temple than He was back then. He said, where is the house that you would build for me? Seeing the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. God has moved into a temple in this hour in the new covenant that's not made with hands, it's made out of lively stones that are framed together, and that old Jewish polity was moved away with a great noise, and it melted with a fervent heat. If it has not been, then we are teaching wrong from Matthew chapter 5 where it said, heaven and earth, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass until all be fulfilled. And then he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. I came to tell you that Jesus fulfilled every last jot, every last tittle, and that the heavens and the earth of old have passed away, and we are standing in a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness, the gift of righteousness, and the abundance of grace. I'm telling you, we are standing in a day when the righteousness that gives us the right to reign as kings and priests belongs to us. And I'm thankful for that. I'm telling you that uh, the elements have melted. These things are not a nuclear exchange or a holocaust somewhere in our future. That ought to be good news to somebody. But there's stuff that occurred, the removing of this first covenant, and it's so powerfully important to me because if this first If this first covenant was not removed, we are still in our sin. I'm out of time. I wish we had some more time on this segment. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Take a moment to write to us, so seated into the ministry. If you appreciate what we're saying, get behind what you're saying. As you could tell, we're probably saying some things that are different than others, and we need your support to continue to say it. If you like what you're hearing, get behind us. Don't just sit on the couch and watch and say somebody else will do it. I believe God will lay it on your heart to do it. Obey God today. Call the number on the screen. Go to our website. We can receive your gift via credit card. You can simply go to our website and give a gift or an offer there, or you can write to the address that will come on the screen in just a few moments. Thank you for your support. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, Biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.